Are you getting enough rest? How often do you find yourself exhausted despite a good night's sleep? Our guest today, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, tells us about the seven different types of rest and how you might be missing out. We'll explore how being well-rested is the best way to bring your whole self to your marriage. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. At the end of every show, we challenge you to play along at home and build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. Welcome to the show. This is Danielle and Justin. We're so glad glad you're joining us. Yes, this is episode number 80. And our guest today is Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, physician and author of the book, Sacred Rest. And she's going to reveal the seven types of rest that we may be missing and how we can incorporate them into the rhythms of our lives and our marriages. Did you even know there were seven types of rest? I suspected. You did? (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. All right. It was kind of blowing my mind. I mean, we're always chasing the dream of being well-rested, but sometimes it's like a unicorn. Is it even possible? Well, Dr. Sandra gives us a way to incorporate all the types of rest into our daily lives so we can bring energy as well as calm into our relationships. All right, babe. Where do you think that not being well-rested is just messing with you or with our life together? Okay, we speak a little bit about moms in the episode, but I think uh, sensory or creative rest is probably I feel like really overlooked for me because like the creative she talks about just like being out in beauty and sometimes I like you know put my head down get stuff done get work done take the kids to the things and don't really take time I know it sounds cliche but like smell the flowers and take in the beauty it's like I'm taking them to the park but Am I yeah. taking in the beauty of it, the the majesty of the lake that we're going to? I think no. the sensory thing definitely. Yeah, I, I was see gonna, that for you. Because we talk you about just that get to this place too. where all of a sudden you're like, "Don't touch me! Don't touch me! Don't talk to me! Everybody, leave me alone! Why is there so many things?" Yes, definitely. Uh, I resonate with the creative rest kind of a thing, like I, going to a movie. Um, just getting out into nature, something to just restore the, my creative spirit because I, I just I feel like I'm often running on empty. A lot of the work that I do, like if I'm teaching during the day, sure, that's uh, it's I'm I enjoy it and it's pouring out. It's expending creative. It's energy. It's expending a lot of creative energy, and I don't have I don't have a good habit, a good practice of really finding uh, powerful way, impactful, you know. Effective ways, effective ways of, to pour of it back in. Refilling, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's that's probably true for both of us. I mean, I know what, it, what they are. I just, I'm not disciplined about doing it. So let's get after it. Here's our conversation with Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. 
All right. So today on the show, we have Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. So she's a physician and author. She's been featured in magazines like Prevention, Women's Day, Red Book, Good Housekeeping. She's been on NBC, CBS, and Fox News, and a whole bunch of other places that we would just spend forever listing them. But she has written a book called Sacred Rest, among her other books. But today, we are just going to talk about Sacred Rest. I feel like I need to like, ohm. I know. I just want to take breath when you say it. So important, but so neglected. So just welcome to the show, Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so you are a physician and also really keyed into the idea of rest. And I feel like a lot of times physicians maybe, you know, they do the the uh, tests like the cholesterol tests and do the blood tests and all that stuff. But maybe they don't just key into like the real life things like you need to take a rest. <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever actually heard my doctor say that they just look at the test results. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you as a physician key into the idea of rest being important? Well, I definitely didn't start there. Uh, medical school, that isn't something that's on the curriculum. But for me personally, it became, it became an issue when I burned out myself. I was within my fifth year of practicing medicine, and I had two kids, both under the ages of two. I was married, obviously, at that time. And I got to the point where really just the, the 40, 50 hours a week that didn't seem such a big deal before kids <laughs> Seemed like a huge deal once I had two other little people to take care of. And I found that I just wasn't happy within my life. You know, this is a career I spent my uh, better part of my life at that time practicing and preparing for. I had two kids that I've been praying for. So technically, I had all these things that I had, had desired, but I was probably more depleted and more drained than I'd ever felt, more depressed and just not happy with my life in general. So I started looking at how do I improve that, you know, because I felt tired all the time. And that's something my patients would tell me too. I'm tired, I'm tired. And, you know, I would always check their cholesterol, thyroid, adrenal glands, all these different tests, trying to see if there was a medical reason for the fatigue. And I had those same tests done on myself. And of course, everything was perfectly normal. So I had to start looking at something. Which is frustrating because you just want to like (laughs) check a box. Like I have this thing and I can take this medicine and then I'm better. Absolutely. And that's what they want. You know, that's really what they want. They want a very quick solution to a problem that requires that they slow down. And nobody wants to slow down. They want to try to see if they can just keep pushing through and and just make it work. And that's what I was trying to do as well. And it, it doesn't work like that. When you have a rest deprivation or you're at the point where you're burned out, trying to just keep pushing just makes you more depleted. And it just ends up going down like a snowball downhill. So what did you try originally when you thought, hey, I I feel like I'm just fatigued all the time. I'm tired. Like, what did you start to try, even though your tests were perfect? Well, the first thing I tried was trying to get more sleep because I thought, well, maybe I'm just not sleeping well enough. So I started doing all the different things, melatonin, and there's nothing wrong with those type things. But I got more sleep, but I was still tired. And that's when it really started uh, clicking for me that it can't just be physical. Because if it was just physical, then sleep should solve the problem if that was the only reason I was tired. So there had to be other areas of my life that needed some kind of replenishing before I could feel like I was energized and had the strength that I wanted to to enjoy my day and my family. 
Yeah, I feel like um, sometimes you sleep or and and I've never tried this, but I know there are lots of people too that can't sleep and they try like Ambien or something like that. Do those get you better rest? Sometimes they do not because that's the thing. Sleep and rest are completely different, and I think that's the that's the key thing that a lot of people don't understand. They think that sleep and rest are the same thing. But in, when I discuss rest within the book, I talk about the physical aspect even being divided up into active and passive. And sleep and napping, those are really just passive forms of physical rest. There is also an active form of physical rest, as well as six other types of rest that people need to really feel replenished. And sleep is very one-dimensional aspect of it. And so just trying to get more sleep is helpful, but it doesn't improve all the other areas. Yeah. Okay. So you 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 said physical rest is one, mm-hmm. and there are six others. What, let's. What are they? So we talked about physical. There's mental, spiritual, emotional, social, sensory, and creative. Oh. Okay. Uh, All right. Um, All right. I'm digging this. I'm Dr. Digging this. Sandra, right now you are blowing my mind because honestly, I've not ever thought of that many different types of rest before. And I don't even know how I would go about resting in all those different ways. Well, and the one that, I mean, they're, they're all, I love that you broke it, break it down into these seven. The one that, that really piques my curiosity, um, because I had never thought of it this way is creative rest. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to go out of order. I don't want to, anything uh, like that. <laughs> you're Just fine. But to- you're so crazy. Always trying to jump the order, jump the line. <laughs> jump the shark. All right. So clue us in. What are these seven different types of rest? Tell us a little bit about it and maybe how we could go about utilizing that type of rest. Okay. Um, well, I'll start with physical because that's the one that most people know at least a little bit about. But like I said, it's divided up even into passive and active. So passive is sleeping, but you can't jump straight into sleep without going through kind of that bridge of a restful type lifestyle. You have to be able to quiet your mind, your body, your spirit, your emotions, your senses, all of these things before you can even get into high quality sleep. So that's where the, the active part of physical rest comes in. It is when you're detoxifying your muscles and your nervous system. So let's say, for instance, if you're someone who works at a desk all day, you may notice that at the end of the day or even sometime in the middle of the day, you're having pain in your neck or you're a stay-at-home mom and you're lifting up a 30-pound child all day and you don't know why, but you're noticing your thighs and your legs and your arms and your back are hurting at the end of the day. So the physical aspect of active rest has to do with acknowledging when you're having discomfort within your physical body and then doing those things to relieve it. Now, that could be anywhere from a basic self-massage. I teach people a lot of times they don't know how to do a basic self-massage on their neck muscles. Extraordinarily easy thing to do, but it helps, especially if you're working at a desk and you have a tendency to kind of keep your shoulders up near your ears to detoxify that uh, versus someone who may need to practice just what we call meditative or prayer walking. So you're not walking for physical activity to try to get your cardiovascular system toned like uh, losing weight, but you're actually moving your body just so that you can restore flow within it. Increase blood flow, increase lymphatics, because those are all the natural things your body needs to be able to heal. So for someone who's sitting at a desk, that could be as simple as standing up for five seconds or five minutes throughout their workday, kind of sporadically to allow what we call body fluidity to help the blood flow within their system. 
Is um, that why it's right. difficult to sleep sometimes when you've been at a desk all day? Because you're tense. And so people lay down and they're like, why am I hurting? Well, you know, 10 o'clock at night's not the time to be processing this <laughs> because yeah. you don't have time to process it. You should be sleeping at this point. So that's why if you're doing the body fluidity type activities throughout the day, by the time you get to, to your sleeping hours, your body's already relaxed. You're not going into the bed tense and wound up and then trying to figure out how to detoxify a body quickly, you know, so that you can ease into uh, high quality sleep. So am I getting this right? When you are sitting still for long periods of time, there's toxicity that builds up in your muscles? Yes. That's why so many people, that's, they say sitting is the new smoking. That's a, that's a term we use in medicine. Sitting is the new smoking. Whoa. Because everybody knows not to smoke, but people don't think about if I'm sitting at a desk for eight hours a day and I only get up to go to lunch or go to use the bathroom, <laughs> the whole time I'm sitting there, my muscles, my body, my circulation is all getting, uh, getting, uh, getting irritated, really. Because so often people say, well, my legs swell when I leave my job at the end of the day. Because the lymphatics weren't able to pump the way they're supposed to because you never got up. You stayed at the same position for too long. Or my hands feel numb at the end of the day. Or my neck hurts. Or I have a headache. And the list goes on and on. Okay, Justin, you've got something right going on here. Because I just get annoyed with you. Um, Justin I don't and I, sit still for very Justin long. Justin doesn't sit still Good for you. It, well, he's just a very active like person. And when he and I work together, I'm someone who can sit at a desk and write and go mm-hmm. cute. It's very like I think sitting like it's fine. It's fine <laughs> with me. Um, but he he has to be moving to be working yeah. and then his watch will go off if he sits for like what two minutes it's like beep no. get up oh. that's you perfect that you need to- that's perfect that's actually you can now say i am practicing body fluidity that is uh, the term yeah, that we, that's the term we call that and and having those reminders we i love it that's actually what we tell people to do make your electronics work for you yeah. make them work for you it's not being enslaved to them where they're your taskmasters, but you are controlling how they're improving your life. Okay, Sandra. So I have a confession to make. So I taught elementary school for eight years and I just called it ants in your pants. <laughs> well, <laughs> if, they're, if they're two-year-olds, it probably is. <laughs> well, they don't but have no, that there's, issue usually. <laughs> there's that truth to it too, is like when kids are at a desk and they're mm-hmm. sitting there for extended periods of time. They're going to want to move. Yeah. yeah, it's actually <laughs> a lot healthier for them to get up and move around. Yeah. So so my, my friend is a chiropractor and he'll, he'll say that like our bodies are not made to sit. No. If they were, we'd have calluses on our butts. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> like we, we need to move around. We're designed to be in motion. Mm-hmm. So I love I love the body fluidity point. I, I wrote that down. I feel like I'm going to be hearing that a lot lately when I <laughs> just sit down. Oh yeah, body fluidity. All right, so we've got the physical, and what's the next one? The next would be mental. That's the one a lot of people struggle with, and it it really has to do with that background cerebral noise or what I call cerebral chatter. Uh, you notice people notice this more when they're trying to go to bed at nighttime and their minds racing. They're playing the woulda, coulda, shoulda game about conversations, what they wish they'd said, how they wish they'd answered things, who, yeah. things they wish they'd done, um, coming up with their to-do list for the next day when they're trying to be sleeping. All of those are, are things that just uh, keep your mind in constant activity. 
So one easy thing with that is just to start practicing mind dumping before you go to bed. Um, and that's basically putting your whatever ruminating thoughts you're having or to-do list you're building to actually make them, put them on something concrete because the mind has a kind of a protective mechanism. If you are regurgitating something over and over again, it thinks it's important, whether it is or isn't, because it thinks, oh, she keeps holding on to this. It keeps going round and round. So I need to hold tight to it. But when you write it down, it's like giving it permission to let it go. It's like, oh, well, now she's got it concrete or he has got it concrete. So now I can let it go and I don't have to keep holding on to it. So you're more likely to go into deeper sleep because your mind almost is like, it's almost like it now has permission to let something go. And then if you can't let something go, let's say for instance, there's um, some type of negative feeling that you have after being in a certain situation. And you, if you've ever had that, like, uh, and you feel it over and over again, you kind of keep reliving whatever that negative feeling is, is to acknowledge whatever that feeling is without judging it. Because sometimes in the, the fear of judging it, we won't, we won't even go there. We just kind of put it in the corner somewhere and tuck it away. And that's when people start having a lot of just like underlying baggage that builds up. And then you have that explosion that happens, you know, when it finally comes to a head. So instead of yeah. just saying, I need to tell my boss this, this, and this, because he thought I didn't finish the project well or whatever, mm -hmm. put, put down your, okay, I need to tell him this, this, and this, but also I'm feeling under-respected, underutilized, mm -hmm. you know, scared that I might lose my job or, you know, something like that. And that might help you. Absolutely. Because what happens is once you write it down and you kind of leave it and go to sleep, sometimes what will end up happening is when you wake up in the morning, you're not fearful that you're going to forget to do those things, which is why you were holding on to them. And you, you do feel like you are able to address situations better because you're, you're more rested. So you come at it, with, at it with a little bit of a fresher approach. So if your boss is, if you're feeling underappreciated by your boss, you can then kind of take a look, well, why am I feeling that? Are those my own personal insecurities? Or is there really something going on in my interaction with them, which kind of goes into the emotional rest part of it, which really is about just telling your personal truth, being able to, to acknowledge your actual feelings and being able to say them unapologetically and just as, the, as it is, kind of saying it like it is without having to sugarcoat it and, and put a pretty bow on top of it. Now, I like how, so when you were talking about the physical rest, obviously that's just something that you kind of do yourself. And mm -hmm. then the, you know, your notes the down, dump. the brain dump, that's mm -hmm. something that you would do yourself. But if you're talking about um, just owning your emotions and telling them, that kind of sounds like it's throughout the day, just in your interactions, Absolutely. like with your family and your coworkers and your friends, it's just how you live. That's what, and that's what I teach my patients. This isn't about having some little pretty rest activity you do right before you go to bed, like a little five minute rest thing. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's a lifestyle of being fluid with your body. It's a lifestyle of not holding on to every emotion. Now, yes, you can't go tell your boss off. You might lose your job, but you need to be able to tell your truth. So if you have a situation in your job where you feel like you're constantly suppressing your emotions, that's going to lead to a toxic emotional atmosphere. And eventually you're going to go, you're going to explode on somebody yeah. because you're, you're building up and you can't do that in life because eventually it's got to come out or it's just going to start wearing you down. And that's what a lot of people are living with. They're living in positions where they don't feel like they can ever be truthful about what they're feeling. 
Now, if you can't do that necessarily with your boss, then having a friend you can do it with. So for instance, a friend that you can say, you know, this is how I'm feeling. These are my true feelings and emotions, and you're able to give them in a safe environment. That's when people start having um, that emotional rest because they don't feel isolated, which is where depression usually ends up coming from. They don't feel alone. They don't feel like their emotions aren't being acknowledged and that they're not being appreciated. I feel like it's kind of the same thing as the brain dump before you go to bed. If you Mm -hmm. have a friend that you can talk about your emotions with, then it's that maybe it's that same kind of thing where if you just get it out there, it doesn't have so much power over you anymore. Absolutely. And and the, the benefit with social rest, all of these, a lot of these you'll notice kind of tie into them each other. The emotional rest part ties into the social rest part as well. Because when I say social rest, most people think, oh, you want me to stay away from people? No, I want you to be around people who feed you. Because so often we're around people who drain us, who need something from us, who are taking things from us. And it's not that they're doing it maliciously. I mean, your kids aren't maliciously taking up your energies. That's just what they do. I think it is malicious when they keep going, mom, 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 mom. (laughs) It feels like it, doesn't it? (laughs) But it feels like that. Like like they're they're constantly requiring something of you. And so it's important to make sure you're having those relationships that are life-giving that are actually pouring something back into you, that are filling you back up socially so that you have the energy to deal with your kids and your spouse and whoever else in your life. What would you suggest if you look around your sphere of influence and you realize that there are a lot of people that are socially draining to you? What would you suggest? <laughs> it depends no, I'm just on asking for their a friend. Re- I'm asking oh. for a friend. <laughs> depends on their relationship to you. Because I had one woman ask that so she goes, what if your husband's socially draining? And I'm like, well, you <laughs> that's difficult because you're, uh, if you're yeah. wanting to stay married, that's a difficult issue. So what you have to do is understand that it it or look at, I should say, is he really socially draining to you or is it that you're entering the relationship already drained? Because that's actually what happens to a lot of women. It's not that he is draining you. You're drained before you even get to him at the end of the day. So practicing this throughout the day where you're, you are being filled back up. And I find in a lot of marriages where I hear women say that, and I tell, I ask them, when's the last time you and your husband actually sat across from each other and looked in each other's eyes the way you did when you first fell in love? Because that kind of activity has to continue throughout your relationship for it to still have that same passion and energy. And so one really simple social rest tip I give for them is to start FaceTiming your husband during the day. So let's say he's at a lunch break, you're at a lunch break, you're in your car. I mean, I don't really care how you do the dynamics of it, but FaceTime or whatever app you have that allows you to see each other and look into each other's eyes and just talk to each other about each other's day. Five minutes of, hey, what's going on with you? How's your day been so far? Just to have that little bit of connection. Love you, love you, bye. Five minutes. It makes such a huge difference because it's new for a lot of people. They don't sit across from their spouse and look at them. They're like sitting beside them, looking at the world, talking to each other. And that doesn't build any kind of relation, intimacy in a relationship. Yeah. Uh, yes, to, to all that. Oh my gosh, absolutely. We also, we create these stories. We tell ourselves these stories about circumstances and people and relationships and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think 
we have to be careful about what stories that we've created that we're actually believing, buying into our own PR, so to speak. Right. Because so often when, like I said, when a woman tells me that and she's like, I don't know if I can stay married. He's so, he makes me so tired. And I'm like, okay, well, what do you feel like before you get in his presence? Tired? Well, how can you say he made you tired? <laughs> You're already tired. You know, toxic people, usually it's a situation when you can define a toxic person is when you enter that situation feeling good. And by the time you leave it, you feel drained. If you're yeah. already drained before you got there, then you can't necessarily blame it on the person who just happens to be in the toxicity with you. Yeah. So, so to build up your social rest tank, you would suggest activities like that where you're building that intimate connection, like looking yes. at each other's eyes. What are some other things that you can do besides that? Because I'm just, I feel like our listeners really mm-hmm. need to hear more ideas about how not to want to smother their husbands at night while they sleep. Wait, what? <laughs> That was a little too vivid. I'm asking asking for a friend. (sighs) We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment, but we wanted to take a minute to talk about what it takes to build a legendary marriage. We're going to focus on community because we believe that isolation is the enemy of a legendary marriage and community is a big part of the solution. You see, the truth is your spouse cannot meet all your relational needs, and it's crazy to try to make them. Doing so creates unneeded strain and codependence. It's just simply not healthy. So men need to have connection and community with other good men. And women need the same with other good women. And together, you need a few couples who can stand with you as you wait find a way over, around, or through every challenge life has to offer. See, we all long for a place to belong to, for a people to belong to, a tribe where we're supported and encouraged, where we can do the same for others. And our community on Facebook makes it easy. This is a group where you can connect with other couples who refuse to settle for an ordinary marriage. So come join the conversation. Share your ideas, insights, experiences, victories, and failures in a circle of men and women who will support and encourage you. Be a part of this movement of couples. We're transforming their marriages and families forever. It's an amazing group. We hope to see you there soon. You can find us over at legendarymarriage.com slash community. And now back to the show. I had one gentleman who wrote me an email to tell me that he purchased the book for his wife after uh, one of his male friends had told him the difference that it made in their sex life. And I thought, oh, okay, that's, I don't talk about sex in the book whatsoever. And so um, I thought that was really interesting. One of the things he was telling me about was how this gentleman's, how he got a new revelation of sensory rest and how it affected their physical relationship. Um, she was a young mom, so she had kids at home that, you know, they were below the, day, the preschool age. Mm-hmm. And so they were um, constantly, he would come home and she would not want to be touched. And so I, what I explain in the book is, is that when we talk about sensory rest, we're talking about periods of sensory deprivation. And so the sensory deprivation for a mom who's being touched all day is allowing her time when she does not have to be touched. Amen. So that, sounds, Amen. <laughs> that sounds counterintuitive not if you're trying to have personal sex. <laughs> not used as a tissue. Like that's amazing. I would love that. So what I, what I had suggested to this 
this particular gentleman who had talked to his friend later was that when you get home, have a period of time, at least, even the nighttime ritual, find some time when you can kind of allow her to just be untouched from you, the kids, from everybody. And what, so what he implemented was he was nighttime daddy. He did the baths, he did all of that, and she could just go relax. So you can imagine the difference that makes if she can literally go have, and she can step in and give everyone a kiss before she goes to bed, but she had like 30 minutes there where she just relaxed with no kids touching her, no man touching her. And what ended up happening is by the time he got into bed, she was hot and ready to go because she had already kind of completely diffused her body and her system. And she was more receptive. She had something to give. She wasn't coming into that bed already depleted and not wanting anything else to bother her at that time. So I, I was just amazed because that wasn't where I was going with that thought process, but absolutely it, it works. And I've seen it in my own patient. I've seen it in my own life. It makes a huge difference. Um, just kind of being aware of some of these different types of rest and how we enter our marriage and relationships depleted in a lot of these areas. And so we don't have anything else left at the end of the day. You know, so I don't know if you've ever done this, Sandra, but Justin got me this. This is, he was very tuned in to my need for sensory rest. He got me for Christmas uh, a float at a sensory deprivation tank. I don't awesome. know if you've ever done it. Have you done it before? I have not. I have a lot of people who talk about Love desiring it. it. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything like that in my area, but. <laughs> It is amazing. And at first I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to be claustrophobic. So it's not going to be sensory rest. It's going to be like panic mode. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the opposite of what we were going for. You know, I think uh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in the middle of this, but I think we have this, we have a belief, a story that we believe that we're supposed to be constantly on the go engaged and and that rest is a sign of weakness or whatever. We have a fear. I, I think I, I, I think I do. Yeah. If I stop, what's going to happen? Like I had that to, was my fear. to force myself to That's meditate. That's so true. That was my fear. That's why I think I pushed so hard for so long. And like I said, it, I didn't stop till I completely burned out, <laughs> until I completely hit kind of the bottom of myself with that. Mm. And when I started looking at how to recover my life. That's what I actually call it, recovering my life. When I started looking at how to get back to where I wanted to be, I found that really rest was the most underused drug we have, uh, alternative medicine we have to really help people get back to their best life in every area. Mm-hmm. Well, it's so funny too, because if you think about it, like as a doctor, like if you wrote a prescription for like, you need to go for one hour and get a massage or something like that. Mm-hmm. Your patient would be like, well, my doctor said I have to do it. So I'm going <laughs> to do it. Um, but if you just mentioned it, you know, casually, like, I think you need to rest some more. They'd be like, eh, that's a bunch of bunk, you know. Exactly. Well, so what I, I typically do, right, what I typically do is I will give them kind of a, Um, A lot of times what I have people first do is to find out which of the seven types that they are deficient in, because most people have no clue. They don't don't even know their seven types, let alone how to identify which of the seven they're deficient in. So I have them usually go to my site at restquiz.com, take the assessment. It's a free assessment. They get a, a report. You can't pass or fail it, but you get a score for all of the seven types of rest to be able to tell which ones you're most deficient in. 
And then what I have them do is tell me what are their top two. And then I give them a rest prescription for their top two, whatever their top two happen to be. I give them very specifics about what I want them to do. And I also have a uh, rest, a sacred rest challenge. I have some people do. It's 30 days. It's a free challenge, um, but it's 30 days where they can um, apply all of the seven types of rest throughout that seven days or 30 days rather, in a very easy to, to add way so that they can see this doesn't take like some mega vacation or, you know, hundreds of dollars of therapy and massage and all these things. They're just very simple mindset activity shifts in how you look at your day and how you utilize your body. Because we all know most vacations with our family are super relaxing as it is. <laughs> that's what, that's that's what when I'm going to get some good rest is when I'm, I'm in a bed that's not my own and all my kids yeah. are sleeping with me and you have to eat weird food. Yeah, that's restful. I love it when people say that, oh, I take vacations, I should be well rested. You know, really vacations are just work in a different location. It might be fun work, but it's still work. It's not rest. I, I have people understand, do not call it rest unless you can tell me what got restored because really rest is about restoration. And so laying on the sofa, watching Netflix on the weekend, it's great. It's fun. But if you can't tell me what got restored, then don't call it rest. Well, it took us a few years of the family vacation thing to realize that, to go, oh, well, well, that was fun. I feel like there's (laughs) there's there's a time limit sometimes, too, on things. Like you brought up Netflix. Like I'm sure a lot of our audience... You know, we're Netflix watchers and sometimes it can be restorative at about one hour. And <laughs> if then it's something that helps you. Yeah, it can and be. And <laughs> then you go into the, I shouldn't, the, now my back is just hurting because I've been laying on the couch too long <laughs> and I'm going to get up and get a bag of potato chips. And, you know, I mean, so maybe the one hour of it was restorative, but the three hours, now you're, now you're back in the tank again. Like, um, now I need more rest. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and it just depends if they can tell me what got restored. Cause I had I have one patient, she goes, well, well, when I watch Netflix, I always like to watch these movies about romance and all this stuff. And so, so I leave that having a positive outlook and it restores my faith in relationships. And I thought, okay. You told me what got restored. I'm good with that. If you can tell me what got restored, and but yeah. if you cannot give me any, if you're just like, ah, it was restful, but <laughs> you can't quantify it any more than that, then I'm questioning whether or not that was real rest. Yes. Okay. So um, we have a couple more types of rest. Yeah. What else? And so there is creative. That's the one a lot of people yeah. aren't familiar with. And then spiritual is the last one. So I'll start with spiritual because that one's probably a little bit easier to, <laughs> to define. Sure. To me, I define spiritual rest as just understanding that there's something more than just this life. I call it having relationship with the holy, whatever that means for you. And oftentimes it's looking at the good in our life. You know, if we look at, at it from like a biblical perspective, on the seventh day, God rested. And what did he do leading up to all of that? He looked back and he said, it is good. It is good. It is good. And I asked people, when's the last time you looked back in your life and declared something good? Because usually we just kind of keep going. We don't reflect on our lives. We don't look back on it. We don't take a time to even have the gratitude for the good. The bad has a tendency to come to the forefront because that's oftentimes what we're having to deal with or what's most distressful for us. But the good is what actually makes life worth living. And so having a focus on the good has a spiritual rest component to it. 
Okay. I I like what yeah. you're saying. Focus on the right now. A lot of people focus on what's wrong, or I think you live in the future too. Mm-hmm. Like the the past is like almost it's dead to you. It's over. It's done that's why you have to look back and relevant. declare it good. Because what can you look back in your past and declare it as good? Because that gives you a foundation of goodness in your life. And that foundation is then what you can build on for future goodness. Yeah. And I I think too, like even not even just being thankful for your life, but if you can look at history, like I'm not a huge history buff or anything like that, but I know a lot of people are. But if you can learn from the history of, you know, your family, your country, your whatever it is, I feel like it adds a fullness to life and a perspective that if you only live in the present or in the future, you just don't have. Absolutely. And so that's, and it's not, it's countercultural because that's not something we tend to do. We're very future oriented. And a lot of times people say, forget the past, you know, (laughs) don't worry about your past. But if you're, if you don't have a foundation of goodness in your past, you go forward with this kind of tainted image about life. And so there has to be some foundation where you feel like overall life does have a good qualities to it. And you can continue to draw from that. And then the final one is creative rest. Creative rest is really the ability to maintain awe and wonder of beauty. And that's rather either it's natural beauty or creative beauty. Um, And when I say that, I'm referring to, you know, mountains, waterfalls, rivers, lakes, oceans, as well as beautiful classical um, music, art. I I have friends who love music and I can see just in their whole expression when they're in like listening to a symphony, something changes physically inside of them and they have a piece that washes over them. Or I have a friend who loves art and when she, she's a painter. So when she walks into an art museum, just the look on her face uh, makes me smile because there is such a radiant and joy and energy that she draws just by being in that atmosphere surrounded by beauty. Uh, same thing, some people, actually there's medical studies that show that the brain is actually affected when people are near bodies of water like the ocean. Because when we see something that massive, it awakens something inside of us that, that has a sense of awe and wonder. And there's a healing that happens with that. And I think we neglect the fact that we can make our surroundings beautiful. And it doesn't mean we have to go spend thousands of dollars, you know, like on some fancy piece of art. You can make your surroundings beautiful with things you love. And that's, you know, claim your office space, claim your workspace, your home. Add pieces of, of art and music and things there that are purely for your enjoyment, not because it has a function other than to awaken awe and wonder inside of you. That makes so much freaking sense. I, I can't even. Un, uh, it does. But unfortunately, I feel like uh, I can, and I'm sure a lot of other people can write it off as peripheral. That's like, the problem. Yeah. And that's, that's what a lot of people do. And they think, well, you know, it's just an office. I, I you know, I, it's just a cubicle or an office. I don't have to make it pretty. I just got to work there. But you're spending the majority of your waking hours there. So why wouldn't you make it beautiful? Do you not think you're worth the effort? Because if you don't, then that's a whole different process with the emotional rest, acknowledging that the core level issues that are keeping you from thinking you're worth that little bit of effort to make your surroundings so that personally you benefit from being in that situation every, every time you sit at your desk. Yes. 
I just think about this, like the creative one keeps hitting me. Like I need a lot of that. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a good... I need a lot of time out on the trail, out uh, on a sunny day with the, with under the shade of a tree um, by a Creek or something. You know, that's interesting that you bring that up too. And I know Sandra, you said there's probably a top two that kind of really pop out to you as what's needed. Does everybody need all these seven and do they need a certain, uh, does everybody need the same amount? No, because every person's kind of hot wired a little bit different. Their jobs are a little bit different. Um, it depends on what's being depleted from your life. And so let's, for instance, if someone's a teacher, a teacher, a teacher's using a lot of emotional, a lot of emotional activity dealing with kids. You're using a lot of sensory input with the noise and all these things that are going on with kids. So if those are the areas that are being the most drained, those are areas you're going to need to focus on filling back up. A construction worker is going to be using a lot of his physical body. So he's got to focus on that because he's going to get to the end of the day and more likely have strain and, and pain related to those issues. And maybe even the sensory part, depending on whatever kind of tools and things they use. Counselors have a lot of, uh, a lot of social rest deficits as well as emotional rest deficits because they're constantly in performance mode. As Myself as a doctor, you know, I can't, my natural personality is a little bit quirky and goofy, but I can't do that in the ICU. So I can't be 100% authentic to who I am in that situation because it's not appropriate. So I have to kind of have my, my personality in check, which is a type of stress. You know, it's a stress to have to keep humor under control in certain, certain situations. And so I need to have those people where I can truly be myself around and crack an inappropriate joke, and they're not going to condemn me for it. You can probably do it if they're in a coma, right? Well, I could probably get away with that if their family's <laughs> not in the room. <laughs> they're not going to laugh, though. So that's gonna, that kind of defeats oh. the purpose. <laughs> but isn't there a lot of research that says people can like understand things in a coma anyway? So you never know. That's the whole. That's <laughs> we can't ask them. That's always so very complicated. But <laughs> oh, maybe better just stay away from that too. I guess. Okay, so you had mentioned the thirty-day rest challenge and taking the quiz. But here's my question. So if you are noticing like in your marriage relationship that, you know, obviously Justin noticed that I needed a sensory rest. So he got me the sensory deprivation tank. Like how can we care for one another in the ways of like encouraging rest or what opportunities can we kind of dive into to have a more rested marriage? It depends on the de what's being depleted, really. But the, the two main issues that I've seen that, that are usually an issue, it has to do with a lack of feeling connected and a lack of emotional intimacy. So those are the two main, when patients come in, those are the two main issues that we're dealing with. And so the lack of feeling connected, that emotional and sensory rest component are the two areas. Are you being truthful? Are you telling your truth to each other? So truth sometimes can be painful. And sometimes it addresses issues that you have been skating around, but with, without diving into. And so that's not healthy. You know, to have a healthy relationship, we have to trust each other to be able to hear the truth and work through whatever pain comes out of that. And so, you know, it's, is it easy? No, but the relationship is stronger for it and the relationship's more healthy. And then you feel more willing to actually 
have that emotional and social rest that's needed because the bond gets tighter. You know, it's no different than, you know, if I'm healing a physical wound, I can't just keep letting the scar tissue remain if I want to have healthy, what we call granulation tissue, the, the pink healthy tissue with the blood flow underneath. I've got to get the decay off and let the healthy come to the surface. And that's a painful process. And it's the same with emotional and physical wounds that happen in relationships. If you were hurt at some point in time, a lot of time in marriage, we have to, we tend to hold on to that instead of just allowing the healing to take place. But the healing, when it takes place, it really makes the relationship that much stronger. So practicing and getting in the habit of having that emotional and social rest helps you be able to do that. And then with the physical part of it, like I said, the sense for women, a lot of times men, I've found that men have a, a don't have as big of an issue, it seems like, with this sensory rest, particularly with the touch overload that women tend to have. But being aware of that with their wives and then just doing whatever is necessary because, you know, oftentimes the love language for most men is physical in some way. And so if they understand why their wives don't physically want to be touched, then they can help her get to that point of being more receptive. Okay. This is just, a, this is a, a question to Dr. Sandra. Now here's, okay. are we wired, <laughs> are we wired differently men and women with regard to sensory input? Because I'm wondering, like, obviously it makes sense. The stay-at-home mom gets touched all day long. She wants to have a sensory break. And maybe men are more like at an office or something like that, and they're not getting touched. But like, let's Mm. say we had the same job. He and I were both coaches. We both do similar types of activities during the day, um, you know, when my kids are at school and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I'm wondering just in general... Are women more disposed biologically to have a little bit of a sensory, what is the word? Weirdness? I don't know. (laughs) Hypersensitivity, maybe? Hypersensitivity, yeah. Well, definitely, I think men and women are, are are put together differently to some degree. You know, when you look at like the, the how we receive and experience love, the ratios are very um, skewed as far as what women tend to want. But that doesn't mean every woman is tends to be more relational and um, words of affirmation tend to be of, of a bigger importance. Communication tends to be of a bigger importance. But statistically, the numbers do show that. And men tend to be more focused on the physical aspects of love and touch and relationships. Um, so statistically, yes, there's a big difference. But I, there are men who have sensory rest deficits as well. Um, so it depends. You know, I have radio um, personalities who will tell me, you know, they come home and they can't stand the sound of their wife's voice. <laughs> Because, you know, they've been hearing sound all day and I'm thinking, wow, that's a problem. You're not going to be able to have much of a relationship if you can't listen to your family, you know. Just text text me if you want to say I'm thinking, oh, that's a problem. So for them, I I tell them, you know, I know that you're in radio, but when you leave, you know, for the 30-minute commute home, turn the radio off, drive home in complete Mm, silence. That's a good idea. And they're like... Silence, like, a, like it's a new concept, you know. <laughs> and uh, the the one in particular I'm thinking of when he did that, I mean, literally called back within two weeks and was like, I can't believe how just turning the radio off has made such a huge difference. And I get home and I actually am okay with hearing what my kids have to say. I don't want to go close myself up in my room. And what he was doing was closing himself up in the room with his earphones on, listening to something else. 
<laughs> he never he's like my wife's voice drives me crazy and I'm, but he was okay with hearing other stuff because it's more mon- monotone and you know things yeah. that he was listening to whereas and he, he got home the and she was like right the show <laughs> and she was trying can- to share so she was dynamic and he couldn't deal with any more dynamics during his um uh, you know in his auditory I area think point to something that's so important to understand it's like when we're we somehow we we unconsciously go, I need rest. And then, but we go to the wrong things. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know to, what type of rest we need. Yeah. We go to sleep <laughs> or we go to binge on a show on Netflix or uh, food or whatever that we're, we're trying to fill ourselves back up and we're often doing it in the wrong way. Absolutely. And that's, that's why the quiz came to, into play, honestly, restquiz.com. That's why I even created it because the, the number one question people had a difficulty with was what type of rest do I need? They mm-hmm. knew something was missing. They couldn't put their finger on it. And that was the same for me. I knew something was amiss and sleep wasn't fixing it. So I needed to find out what exactly is it that I'm missing. And then you can focus on getting that specific thing. So it doesn't look so overwhelming. Yeah, Sandra, thank you so much for doing that. I yes. feel like that's that's uh clears up a lot of ambiguity as far as the um I need rest kind of question. Okay, so we want to go and find your get your rest quiz and we will include that in the show notes for sure. How else can we find out what you're doing and what you're up to? Well, my website is at ichoosemybestlife.com. That under resources, you can find all the different resources that I that are available. They're all free. And my book is set free. It's called Sacred Rest, Recover Your Life, Renew Your Energy, Restore Your Sanity. And it's everywhere books are sold. All right. Yes. Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks, guys. It's been great. Man, I really enjoyed that conversation yes. with Dr. Sandra. And um, who knew? Seven types of rest. Okay. It's still blowing my mind. But it, yes. And it also, it's like, it's one of those kind of Homer Simpson forehead slapping. Don't, of course. <laughs> like there's nothing earth shattering there. It was just like, oh, it's so helpful when somebody just puts something in a way where you where it makes sense. It makes sense. Like, oh, I just never thought of it that way, and it makes so much sense. And it was really helpful to take the rest quiz. So, honey, yes. did you take the rest quiz? You know, I did. You sat right next to me when we did them. <laughs> Well, it was really... It was, it was helpful. Yeah, it was... Like, we had a great conversation about about how we're not getting some of the right kinds of rest. And actually, this weekend, we're off doing some of that with a camping trip. Yeah. creative kind of stuff, you know, where bugs bite you, but it's beautiful because you're staring at no, the No, no, no. I got the stuff full of DEET. All right. Deed us up, baby. Yeah. All right. So this is our thought for you this week. Go ahead and discuss your results from the rest quiz, and we will include the link in the show notes. And as always, we are talking about the hot topics from the podcast and so much more in our free community on Facebook. So come join us at legendarymarriage.com slash community. Next week, we'll be talking with Tanya Whittle who's bringing attention to five ways fear might be harming you and your marriage. Mm. Is fear real? Should we pay attention to it? We'll talk about all that and so much more. But right now, I want you to just take a quick listen to a little bit of our conversation with Tanya Whittle. 
And so what we're all doing is we're all waiting for the other person to be all in, or we're waiting for the other person to initiate sex, or we're waiting for the other person to have the conversation that needs to be had, or we're waiting for the other person to kiss us or meet us at the door. You know, we're waiting for the other person to throw them themselves into our arms or drop on their knees and, you know, proclaim their love to us, you know, fully and openly. All right. So I'm super excited about this one because I didn't actually get to be in on that interview, I had a work conflict. So Danielle, what's the one thing that our listeners can really look forward to (laughs) getting out of this one? Well, I would say my conversation with Tanya was just about bringing the walls down um, of fear and stepping into courage by sharing with your spouse the tough stuff. It is tough stuff. There's some tough stuff in this interview, but it's a good one. I can't wait to listen. All right, that's all we have for you today. You can find the show notes and all the details from this episode at legendarymarriage.com slash 080. Finally, we want to help more couples have conversations that matter. So if you love the show, please let us know. Jump on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review the show so that we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Have a great week. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us on the adventure. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you, don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.